So I just want to welcome you all again. Uh, great to have you here uh, with us this evening. It's just a gift. Uh, good news, uh, everyone. I got one of these little pointer things. So yeah, yeah, that's great. It was great. The advertisement on, on Amazon, uh, all of their pictures that they had were people using this laser pointer, like with a big smile, like, yeah, you can have a laser pointer. So I don't think I'll ever use the laser pointer, but uh, it's just so comforting knowing it's there. You know? <laughs> um, we want to, uh, so I was, I was mentioning to some people, it's just, it's been so cool to see different groups preparing our meals every time um, so far. And uh, so really grateful for our Latino prayer group uh, who prepared the meals. So a great, uh, a great gift uh, to be together. So let's, let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. So let's pause to be quiet with the Lord, recognizing that he looks upon us with great love. Call to mind uh, the last week and recognize any, any gifts, any signs that point to God's goodness uh, that he's given to you, that you've encountered in your life, and give thanks to him for those blessings. We ask the Lord to give us ears to hear this evening, that he would let us see as he sees and think as he thinks, that he would teach us his ways. We ask him to speak to us this evening, to share his heart with us. Father, we thank you for all the ways that you have guided us, all the ways that you've provided for us. Thank you especially for providing Jesus, your son. Jesus, we thank you for coming. We ask you this evening that you would come and explode into our lives in a new way. Help us this evening come to a deeper awareness of your power, a power that you want us to experience. We ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit to come, to fill us, to teach us, to remind us of all that Jesus did and taught this evening as we continue to hear the gospel proclaimed. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to continue working on part three of the proclamation, part three of the kerygma, God's response to our sin. Just a reminder here, uh, if, if you happen to miss any of the sessions, uh, you can check them out online, or if you just want to go back and, and listen to them. Um, you're certainly welcome to. Here's the, the link here uh, to my SoundCloud page uh, where you can also uh, listen to these talks, listen to other talks maybe that I give at any given time or homilies uh, as you would like to. Okay, this evening we have uh, just a reminder of our main goal and then a couple of sub goals. So first, just a reminder, this is the one goal that we have uh, for our time together this Lent, and that is to establish a firm foundation for your life with God. Uh, that we're, we're wanting to build something, of course, as we live our lives as Catholic Christians, but before we build, we have to make sure we have established a firm foundation uh, of, what, of who God is to us and who we are to Him. 
to establish that foundation so that we can build, and whatever we build, it can be steady, it can be firm uh, in, in whatever ways. This evening, we, we have a couple of sub-goals. So we first want to look at the different ways to understand the crucifixion, and we want to develop a clear understanding of the results of the resurrection. Uh, so those two things, and we're, we're going we're gonna to do that and, and get into it really quick here. But first, uh, just a little bit of review, the four parts of the kerygma, right? So just pause and think. Can you remember them? The goodness of creation, sin and its consequences, God's response to our sin, and our response to what God has done. So this evening, we're continuing to look at this third part. Our theme verse that we've been talking about from St. Paul, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation. The word gospel, of course, means good news, but not just good news, but life-changing, transformational news. The kind of news that makes you look at life completely different. And it explodes, this word for power, right? The same root word as dynamite. And this is what ultimately what, what I'm hoping we, we get to look at this evening is the power of God uh, that is revealed in the person of Jesus. And of course, this power comes to us for the gift of salvation. That is to say, it makes us whole. It restores our health. This is what God is about, is he wants to restore us, to make us healthy. We looked at this in sort of question and answer form, right? Why is there something rather than nothing? And that is because God, who is incomprehensibly good and powerful, has freely created everything out of the abundance of love within his being. That is why there is something rather than nothing. Why is everything so obviously messed up? It is because man and woman, the highlight of God's creation, his favorite creature, chose to rebel against him and sold themselves into slavery to sin with a capital S. Sin with a capital S, that we have been sold into this dominion, this, this sort of authority that, that hovers over us. Uh, and this brought chaos into the world. That's why everything is so obviously messed up. And now what, if anything, has God done to fix the mess? We began to look at this last week. We saw that God has provided for his people throughout history, not just in Jesus, but throughout history. He has provided for his people, culminating, of course, in the great gift of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who sets us free from spiritual slavery. So we'll continue to look at this question uh, more so this evening. Uh, and then our last session next week, we're, we're going to look at this. How should we reasonably respond to the action of God in Jesus? So now, looking at Jesus, right, the Lamb of God. This is what we talked about last week. We heard John the Baptist speak when he saw Jesus as he was preaching a message of repentance, of preparing the way for the Lord. He sees Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We see that Jesus is provided by the Father. He is sent by the Father to be the Passover Lamb of God, the Paschal Lamb, and that his blood frees us from spiritual slavery in the same kind of way that the Passover lamb in the Old Testament freed them from physical slavery. This is what Jesus does. His blood poured out for us, saves us, and rescues us from spiritual slavery. What we want to look at this evening is this question. What was Jesus' perspective? We talk about how he's sent by the Father, that he was provided by the Father. And we want to ask the question, what was Jesus about? What was he thinking? Right? Did he want to come? Right? Because if we're talking about like Jesus as the innocent victim, which is a common way to speak of Jesus on the cross, if that's how we talk about him, it kind of sounds like that's a bad thing. Like, 
Are we sure that he really wanted to come? Or was he just sent by the Father and so he sort of had to come out of obligation, out of obedience? This is what we're going to look at uh, this evening. So before we do that, we just maybe want to take a brief look at Jesus. So I'm going to lay out some questions and just think about this. Think about what you understand about Jesus. What was he like or what is he like? What was on his mind when he came to earth? Why did he come? What was his most important teaching? Just think about that for a second. I think most people would say, well, you know, Jesus, like he's kind, and he's gentle, he's patient, and he's loving, and he's compassionate, he's merciful. That's, that's who Jesus is. And, and he, like, why did he come? He came because he wanted to show us love. And, and his most important teaching, well, you know, like that's like the golden rule, you know, that we just got to love each other. And what I want to encourage us or maybe challenge us this evening is to, to see that perhaps the Lord wants to stretch our understanding of who Jesus is. That, that as we look at Jesus, we might look at him from a different angle, maybe, than what we're accustomed to looking at him from. Uh, that, that we actually want to see maybe a little bit more of a full picture of, of who he is. And to do this... Uh, we're going to begin by looking at one of the promises from the Old Testament. So if you remember, I talked about this last week, how the Lord sends prophets to his people when he sees his children going down a path that leads away from him. He sends prophets to warn them that if they don't repent and turn away from their sin, that there's going to be punishment coming. And this is, this is one of the main things of the prophet. But then oftentimes accompanied with the prophet's warning is a promise of restoration. There's always or often a promise the Lord is saying, I will punish you, but the punishment is for a purpose. And that purpose will be revealed to you when I bring you back into the fold, when I restore you to your status as my beloved children. So this is one of the prophets uh, from Isaiah 49, one of the promises uh, that the Lord reveals here. He says, Can the prey be taken from the mighty, or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? Surely thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. What's the Lord promising here? He's promising, I will fight for you. This word, uh, Redeemer, it, there's, there's kind of a lot bottled up in this word that, that we can sometimes use really without uh, explaining what it means. This word, Redeemer, means the Lord is saying, I will claim you as my close family member. And as my close family member, I will come and avenge you. The one who holds you captive, I am going to come and I will fight that one. I will contend with those who contend with you so that you can be set free and be given back to the Father to whom you rightfully belong. This is the promise the Lord is giving to us that he is coming to fight. And ultimately, you guys, like this, it gets back to this question. Why are they here? Why are the soldiers landing on the beaches of Normandy on June 6, 1945? The answer is obvious. 1944, excuse me. The answer is obvious. They're there to fight. 
They're, they are arriving on those beaches to go to war. The next question, why is he there? The answer is the same. Scripture reveals this. The Bible reveals that Jesus came to fight, to go to war. In fact, 1 John, so John, the beloved disciple, the one whom Jesus loves the most, it says in his gospel, the one that Jesus loves. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus himself, in the Gospel of John, says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. There's, there's a shift in the way that Jesus speaks, as though it's like, now it's time to go. And go time means that I am gonna, I'm going to take some names. I'm going to go to fight. And I'm going to cast that one out. If you remember last week, we talked about Zechariah's hymn in the Gospel of, of Luke. When John the Baptist is born and Zechariah, his father, he sings this great hymn, this, this great canticle. And he talks about, he's praising what God is doing. He suddenly sees clearly what the Lord God is doing in the birth of his own son, John the Baptist, but also in who John the Baptist is coming to proclaim. He talks about how God has come to his people to set them free, how he's come to save us from our enemies, our enemies who are sin, death, and Satan. He's coming to, uh, to, to deliver from the hands of all who hate us, to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death. Right? We as a human race at this time are stuck in the kingdom of darkness. Death hovers over the whole race and nobody can escape it. And now Zechariah sees clearly that God has sent his servant to deliver us from that shadow so that we don't have to be stuck in the shadow of death, that it won't be able to hover over us any longer. Jesus speaks about this in, in the, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in three very similar passages. He says, How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. In the Gospel of Mark, very similar. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. In the Gospel of Luke, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when one stronger than he assails him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides the spoil. Who is the strong man? Satan is the strong man. What's his palace? What's his house? This world. Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. Who are the goods? Us. We have been sold into slavery to the ruler of this world. And so the stronger man comes, right? How, when a strong man fully armed, but when one stronger than he, who is that? It is Jesus to be very clear, Jesus is stronger than the ruler of this world. And he has come to assail him and to overcome him. And he does this. He assails him by his death and he overcomes him by his resurrection. And then he takes the spoils. Are you thinking about Jesus a little bit differently yet? Maybe a fuller picture of who he is. Let's keep going. The incarnation, we see clearly. 
is the invasion, the invasion of one kingdom by a stronger kingdom. Jesus comes from his stronger kingdom and he invades this other kingdom. There's a guy named Erasmo Leiva Marikakis. He now goes by Father Simeon, a much easier name to say. <laughs> Erasmo Leiva Marikakis, has, he wrote um, a four-volume commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, and it's like, it's huge, but it, it's incredible. Uh, it's like reading a meditation as, as we're going on. Uh, just this week, I'm going to be starting the fourth volume, which is focusing on uh, the passion, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and I'm really excited about it. So anyway, he talks about this. He says, Christ did not merely come to teach a new doctrine about how we should behave or to set an example of selflessness. Christ came above all to perform a deed, the destruction of death and the establishment of an everlasting kingdom of life. Is this how you think about Jesus? That the one thing, the main thing he comes to do is to destroy death. This is how we we want to think. So we got we got to talk about this, right? So we got to look at the crucifixion. So historically, traditionally, there are different ways to talk about the crucifixion. Each one on its own is not false. Each one on its own is true, but but on its own is not a full picture of what's going on in the crucifixion. But instead, to look at all three uh, together, uh, two of them we speak of very frequently. So the, the, the one that we speak of very frequently is that when I look at the crucifixion, right, when I look at Jesus on the cross, I see that Jesus is showing me the love of the Father. That, that I look at Jesus, right, this is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. That, that in the crucifixion, God is revealing to me that he would rather die than live without me. And so when I look at that, that's meant to impact me in an incredible way that, like, I look at the overwhelming love of God, which is absolutely true. And that really moves some people. And it just like hits their heart and it's like, oh man, this is awesome. It doesn't do anything for other people. And that's okay. Because there's actually, there's another way to look at it. And this other way is to talk about how Jesus on the cross is becoming sin. He's making atonement. That, that when I look at the cross of Jesus, I see that he is somehow absorbing all of the sin of human history. And he is paying the punishment that that sin deserves. So that when I, when I look at the cross, right, I see that Jesus is giving himself as an offering for sin. And it's not just on the cross, but it's, it's in his passion as well. There's, there's the scene, uh, if you've seen the passion of the Christ, uh, there's a scene where Jesus is being scourged. And it's just like a brutal, brutal scene where it's just like over and over and over again. And he's just bloody and left in shreds. When you watch that scene next time, just think of the times in your life, as I have to think in mine, of all those times when you just think, it's not really a big deal if I commit this sin. That's, that's something that we're meant to see in this other way of looking, that, that Jesus is absorbing all of the sin. And we, maybe we don't fully understand that this is what sin deserves. But nonetheless, right, he is, he is sent from the Father. And so he's revealing to us the reality of what sin deserves. So again, that's that's something that can really move people and really inspire them to like 
to say like, okay, I got to avoid sin. I got to, like, I want to join in making atonement in whatever way I can as a member of the body of Christ. That's really great. For other people, again, it, it doesn't move them. And again, that's okay. These two, these are, these are the two primary ways we talk about the crucifixion in today's world. There's another way, the third way, that the earliest Christians spoke about much more often. In fact, most often, the earliest Christians, we call them the church fathers, they would speak about this third way uh, as God going to war to rescue us. Right? This gets to that passage from the first letter of St. John. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Right? That Jesus is coming and he is going to war against the trafficker who has abducted us and holds us captive. He goes to war. He invades so as to rescue us and set us at liberty. So that's, that's the primary thing we're going to be looking at because I think we're, we're much more familiar with these first two. So this evening, I, just, I, I'm really, I find myself really captured by this third way uh, that, that is, is a way to talk about the gospel unlike what I had heard about up, up until about three or four years ago. So we're going to talk about this. So this is, this is getting to the question, right? So when you look at the cross, when you look at the crucifixion of Jesus, what is it that you see? Do you see a victim or do you see an aggressor? Do you see someone who has been hunted or someone who is hunting? The answer is obvious, right? Like, he's been totally degraded. He's, it's a shameful thing, the crucifixion. Humiliation. Stripped naked, right? When, when, when we look at the crucifix and we see a loincloth, that's for our own modesty. The point of crucifixion was to completely humiliate the one who was crucified. Jesus is publi publicly exposed for all to see. And as he's on the cross, he's gasping for air. How could, how could it be anything other than Jesus being a victim here? But the way the earliest Christians looked at this, again, something that maybe can stretch our understanding of what's going on, is actually to speak of the opposite. To speak of Jesus, not as the victim, but in fact as the aggressor on the cross. So let's take a, let's take a closer look. So the beginning of the Gospel of John uh, has this to say. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh. So we see from this, he's writing about Jesus, of course. We see that Jesus is God become man, that he has existed from all of eternity. He is the divine word of God. Through him, all things were made. And so if that's true, if that's true that Jesus is the divine word of God, where are you going to find a set of nails that can keep him tied to a tree? You're not going to find one. The only way this works, if Jesus is truly the Son of God, the Word of God who has existed from all of eternity, the only way this works is if he chooses to be there, if he wants to be there. Which begs the question, why would he want to be there? C.S. Lewis uh, spoke about it like this. He said, enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say, landed in disguise. 
You see, the enemy of our race, Satan, is not dumb. In fact, he's very smart. He's very intelligent. And so he knows that he is a creature of God. And so there's no chance he would go to fight against God because he knows that he can't compete with God. And so what's going on here is that Jesus has to come in disguise. Because why? Because he's trying to pick a fight. The best way I've heard of uh, this being spoken of is to talk about Jesus as an ambush predator. Uh, so what's, what's an ambush predator? This would be an ambush predator. <laughs> so with this. Yeah, maybe a little more scary, right? An ambush predator is a creature that will lie motionless and still, doing whatever it can to camouflage itself and blend in with its environment, all with the one purpose of trying to make its prey feel like things are safe and secure, so that the prey will draw close. And then when the prey draws close, pounces and devours. Think of like, Cougar. And what do they do? They get as low as they can, hidden in the grass, keeping an eye. Right? There's, we have ambush predators all over the spiders. They're in your house, all over the place. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, so from the cross, from the cross, it's like Jesus is saying, I am the ambush predator. From the garden, of Gethsemane, the agony in the garden, to the cross, Jesus is more and more camouflaging his divinity. How so? Well, we see him in that process. We see him sweating blood. We see him arrested. We see him chained. We see him judged, stripped, mocked, spit upon, crowned with thorns, nailed to a tree. These are not things that God normally does. In fact, we wouldn't imagine doing these things, even being able to do these things, to the God of the universe. Right? The God who, from any given point on earth, we, we can look out and see 46 billion light years away. And, we, like, and Jesus is the God of the universe and experiences these things, so that by the time he gets to this point, what's he doing? He's lying motionless and still. He's totally camouflaged, blending in with his environment. What's he doing? He's hunting. Who's his prey? Satan. You can almost imagine the scene, right? Satan, uh, Jesus has blended in totally. So he thinks things, things are safe and secure. So you can like imagine this conversation. Jesus uh, on the cross, Satan drawing close to him, saying him, you know, you're a pretty remarkable young man. And I've seen you do miracles, but I've seen miracles before. Look at you now. In a minute, you're going to die because everybody dies. And when you die, then you're mine. And you can imagine in that moment, Jesus almost like looking up and saying the last words he says from the cross. It is finished and then he dies and he enters into the kingdom of darkness except Jesus is the light of the world 
And when you turn a light on in a dark room, what happens? The darkness scatters. And it's in that very moment that the enemy of our race, the prey of Jesus, realizes that he has not overcome Jesus, but that in fact Jesus has pounced upon him. St. Gregory of Nyssa spoke of it this way, The nature of God therefore must have been hidden, for the devil would never have approached Christ directly. The divine nature therefore was covered by the human nature of Christ. The devil thought he was dealing with a man, not with God. He speaks about this as a fish hook. The hook was the divinity of Christ. The bait was the humanity that covered it. When Satan took the divinity of Christ into his possession, he brought the light of God into his kingdom of darkness, which put an end to the kingdom of darkness, or Satan's kingdom. St. Augustine speaks of it as like a mousetrap, based on bait on a mousetrap, that he goes and he gets the cheese, except when he gets the cheese, then the trap comes down upon him. He talks about how it's only fitting that the one who deceives us into selling ourselves into slavery now himself has been deceived. St. Peter speaks of this in the Acts of the Apostles. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, having loosed the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Let all the house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus dies, and yet it is not possible for him to be held by death because he is the God who provides life for the world. And so even though he dies, he can't help but to live again. Another one of the early Christians, St. Melito of Sardis, he preached this homily on Easter uh, as though he's speaking for Jesus. We might call this like something of like a trash-talking Jesus, where you just imagine him bursting forth from the tomb. He has, been, he has been crucified. He has died. He's been laid in the tomb, thought to be dead forever. And then the tomb explodes open, and Jesus comes out saying these words, Who is he who contends with me? Let him stand in opposition to me. I set the condemned man free. I gave the dead man life. I raised up the one who had been entombed. I, he says, am the Christ. I am the one who destroyed death and triumphed over the enemy and trampled Hades underfoot and bound the strong one and carried off man to the heights of heaven. I, he says, am the Christ. Therefore, come all you families of men, you who have been befouled with sins and receive the forgiveness for your sins. I am your forgiveness. I am the Passover of your salvation. I am the lamb which was sacrificed for you. I am your ransom. I am your light. I am your savior. I am your resurrection. I am your king. I am leading you up to the heights of heaven, and I will show you the eternal father. I will raise you up by my right hand. This is the one who made the heavens and the earth, and who in the beginning created man, who was proclaimed through the law and the prophets, 
who became human via the virgin, who was hanged upon a tree, who was buried in the earth, who was resurrected from the, death, from the dead, and who ascended to the heights of heaven, who sits at the right hand of the Father, who has authority to judge and to save everything, through whom the Father created everything from the beginning of the world to the end of the age. This is the Alpha and the Omega. This is the beginning and the end, an indescribable beginning and an incomprehensible end. This is the Christ. This is the King. This is Jesus. This is the General. This is the Lord. This is the one who rose up from the dead. This is the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. He bears the Father and is born by the Father, to whom be the glory and the power forever. Amen. You see, my brothers and sisters, Jesus is not only kind. He is not only gentle. He is not only patient and loving and compassionate. Yes, he is all of those things. But before he is any of those things, he is absolutely and utterly unconquerable. No one can compete with him. The greatest of all time, we can debate who the greatest athlete of all time is. We can debate who the greatest musician of all time is. But we can't debate who the greatest of all of the great ones is. And that is Jesus. This is how we're meant to think of him. Not as just a teacher who came to teach some nice things, but instead as the one who came to go to war for you so that you could be set free from sin and death. St. Paul speaks of it this way. He says to the Colossians, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, having canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in him. The principalities and the powers, sin, Satan, death, and hell, Jesus has disarmed them. Another translation says Jesus has stripped them so that they no longer have power over you. This word triumph, it's a very specific word for the Roman Empire. A triumph was this grand parade that after the empire had overtaken an enemy that was threatening them or that had, had gone to war against them, when they had overtaken that enemy, the, the Caesar, the emperor, would go on this great triumph, this great parade where he would sit in the front on his throne and he would have this grand train behind him beginning with his soldiers and his retinue. And after them, there would be the great treasures, the spoils that they had taken from war. And then last of all would be the great enemy that had tormented them, the great enemy who had been stripped naked, tied hands behind his back and in a cage. And on the cage above his head would be a sign that would say, this is the one who used to threaten us and make us miserable. You don't have to worry about him anymore. This is what St. Paul's talking about. When Jesus has triumphed over them. That we don't have to worry about him because he is the great one. And all who believe in him are on the winning side. This happens to us when we're baptized. That we're... We're given papers to join the winning side. St. Paul talks about this also in the letter to the Colossians. 
He says, God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. That is the dominion of hopelessness, the dominion of, of death. He has delivered us from this dominion and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. The best way I've heard talk about this is this, to imagine this. Imagine you grow up in a family that's just like utterly dysfunctional. Some of us maybe don't have to imagine too bad. (laughs) But imagine you grow up in a family where there's just all kinds, there's alcohol abuse, there's physical abuse, maybe verbal abuse, maybe sexual abuse, and you just like hate being home. And when you're home, you're just like sort of tippy-toeing around the house because you don't want to cause any problems because if you cause problems, it's never going to end well. So you just, you try, you avoid being at home as much as possible. You like join all the sports, you join all the activities just so that you can be away. You leave the house early, first thing you can in the morning, and you come home late because it's just the worst place to be. And as you're growing up, you look out your bedroom uh, window and you see across the street there's this family and they just seem like they're perfect. Like, the dad's always out in the front yard playing with the kids and they're just laughing and having a great time. You look through their, their dining room window and you see they're like enjoying meals together all the time and just like laughing and having great conversation. They're always smiling and so that just makes you hate your own home even more because you long so badly for that house. You long so badly to be part of that family. And then one day you're home and the rest of your family is away and you hear a knock on the door. So you go down and you open the door and it's the dad from across the street. She says, hey, do you want to come live with us? You don't even pack. You just run across the street. I was talking about this with our RCI candidates, and one of one of our guys, he's he's uh, sometimes a little rough around the edges, and I was just like, when I when I, when I posed the question from the dad's perspective, you want to come live with us? He just said, hell yes. <laughs> right? Like this is like this is what happens in baptism, right? Like that Jesus comes, sent from the Father. He dies for us. He sets us free, and now in baptism, he transfers us. From the kingdom of that dysfunctional, chaotic, abusive family into the Father's kingdom of his beloved Son. Where we don't have to be part of the dysfunction anymore, but now we can rest in the freedom of being sons and daughters of the good Father. One more passage from the letter to the Hebrews. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same nature, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. Because of what Jesus has done, I no longer have to fear death. Because of what Jesus has done, I no longer have to sin. Because he has set me free, and I no longer have to be enslaved to sin, and neither do you. Which is actually kind of an irritating thing, right? Because I still sin. You still sin. But we don't have to. This is the good news, that we don't have to be a part of that anymore. And what's more... It's not just that we don't have to be a part of it, but that, like, 
Jesus comes and he gives us authority over the enemy. That it's not just that he comes to set us free, but that in setting us free, he actually shares his power with us. So that we can share in overcoming the enemy. The, the C.S. Lewis quote, quote I shared earlier, there's another part to it. Enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say, landed in disguise and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. Mm -hmm. Jesus has come and conquered, and he is now inviting us to share in the undoing of everything that the enemy has done. Is this how you look at life? That your life with God, my life with God, is a great campaign of sabotage. So that I might look at the world, I might look at my life, and I might sometimes see a tendency toward dysfunction, but instead of embracing it, I actually can resist it. Because he has given me power over the dysfunction. He has given you power over the dysfunction. All right, now comes, now comes the part that I'm, I'm most excited about this evening. We're going to pray. So there's a way for us to pray. We're going to pray for like 20 minutes. There's a way for us to pray. Calling on the name of Jesus, who is power. St. Paul says this to the Philippians. He says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a way to pray, brothers and sisters, by calling on this name, the name of Jesus, for power, not from power from, my, from myself, but power from on high, power from the Jesus who has conquered sin and death and invites me to share in that power. And so I call on his name for the power to do what? To repent of sin and to leave it behind, to forgive and release anger and resentment and pain. Never acknowledging that what someone maybe has done to me in the past has been wrong, has been right. I'm never acknowledging that. But what I'm acknowledging is that I'm not going to hold on to this anger. I'm not going to hold on to this resentment. I'm not going to hold on to this pain. But instead, I'm going to release it back to the Lord. The power of Jesus can do this. The power of Jesus can help me to renounce evil spirits and their lies. To renounce anything that comes to me and tries to steal me away from following the way of God so that it can kill me and destroy me. This is what we're going to pray with. To repent, to forgive, to cast out evil. But before we get to that point, we've got to ask this question. Do you believe it? Because if you don't, and it's just empty words, then it's not going to do anything. But if you believe it, that can change everything. So do you believe that God sent his son Jesus to rescue you? Not sent his son to rescue us, 
but that he sent his son to rescue you. Do you believe that Jesus came willingly, lovingly, to rescue you from sin and death, from the grasp of the enemy? Do you believe that you no longer need to fear anything, especially no longer needing to fear death? Do you believe that you no longer need to sin? Do you believe that you no longer need to be held captive by anger, resentment, and pain? You don't have to hold on to those things. Do you believe that you matter enough to God that he wants to set you free by his power? Do you believe that you matter enough that you are worth the trouble that he has gone to for you? Because, you guys, this is ultimately the main message of the gospel. That you matter to him. We can go all the way back to the beginning. His favorite creature is you. And he cares about you intensely. And he looks at you in the eyes. And he says to you, I love you so much and I know everything about your life. I know all of the ways that you're just super proud of who you are and I'm proud of that too. And I know all of the ways that you're not proud of yourself. And I love you anyway, but now, he says, it's time to leave those things behind. It's time to repent. It's time to forgive. It's time to cast out evil, to join in the great campaign of sabotage. So we're going to pray. The first few, we're just going to kind of pray with ourselves because they're maybe a little bit more, a little bit more sensitive, a little bit more personal. But to begin very simply, in the name of Jesus, I place my life in your hands, God. I give you everything that I have. In the name of Jesus, I repent of my unbelief and rebelliousness. No longer, no longer, Jesus, will I refuse to believe in you. No longer, Jesus, will I rebel against you. I repent of that. I repent of all of my sins in your name, Jesus. So we do this, think in your life of sins that you repeatedly do without even considering that maybe you should stop. Think in your life of any times where you've heard a command of God and you thought to yourself, I don't need to do that one. In the name of Jesus, I repent of that. Think of any times in your life where you've thought, you know, I think I mostly believe in Jesus, but this part I just don't know. In the name of Jesus, I repent of that. This is maybe a big one here. In the name of Jesus, I forgive my mom. In the name of Jesus, I forgive my dad. In the name of Jesus, I forgive my siblings. In the name of Jesus, I forgive my spouse. In the name of Jesus, I forgive my teachers. In the name of Jesus, I forgive father so-and-so. In the name of Jesus, I forgive president or former president so-and-so. And I forgive them for what they did. Be as specific as you possibly can be. 
In the name of Jesus, I forgive my dad for all of the ways he constantly critiqued me. In the name of Jesus, I forgive my brother for the time that he betrayed me. In the name of Jesus, I forgive my spouse for the way that he said this thing. In the name of Jesus, I forgive my spouse for the way that she spoke to me. And it hurt so bad. Think about these things, brothers and sisters, and forgive them. In the name of Jesus, release resentment, release anger, release pain, and hold on to it no longer, realizing that on your own you can't do it. But with the power of Jesus, he can do it for you. In the name of Jesus, I forgive this person for what they did. In the name of Jesus, I release my anger that I'm holding on to this against this person for what they said, for how they did this thing, for how they did that thing. Now we're going to go through a big list of things. This is the one where you're going to repeat after me. I know some of these won't apply to all of us. Some of them will apply to all of us. But to repeat them anyway after me, so that even if you're unaware of an attachment that this spirit might have to you, you can still renounce it in the name of Jesus. You can still call upon his name. So repeat after me. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of anger. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of resentment. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of hatred. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of bitterness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of unforgiveness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of pride. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of rebellion. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of disobedience. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of self-righteousness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of perfectionism. I renounce the spirit of perfection. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of stubbornness. I renounce the spirit of stubbornness. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of arrogance. I renounce the spirit of arrogance. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of superiority. I renounce the spirit of superiority. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of insecurity. I renounce the spirit of insecurity. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of timidity. I renounce the spirit of timidity. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of self-pity. I renounce the spirit of self-pity. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of inadequacy. I renounce the spirit of inadequacy. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of loneliness. I renounce the spirit of loneliness. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of abandonment. 
I renounce the spirit of abandonment. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the fear of rejection. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of feeling unwanted. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of control. I renounce the spirit of control. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of anxiety. I renounce the spirit of anxiety. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of worry. I renounce the spirit of worry. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the fear of death. I renounce the fear of death. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the fear of failure. I renounce the fear of failure. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the fear of aging. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the fear of suffering. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the fear of authority. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of confusion. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of self-doubt. I renounce the spirit of self-doubt. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of forgetfulness. I renounce the spirit of forgetfulness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of shame. I renounce the spirit of shame. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of worthlessness. I renounce the spirit of worthlessness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of self-protection. I renounce the spirit of self-protection. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of comparison. I renounce the spirit of comparison. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of judgment. I renounce the spirit of judgment. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of criticism. I renounce the spirit of criticism. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of infirmity. I renounce the spirit of infirmity. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of envy. I renounce the spirit of envy. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of greed. I renounce the spirit of greed. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of fantasy. I renounce the spirit of fantasy. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of depression. I renounce the spirit of depression. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of despair. I renounce the spirit of despair. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of discouragement. I renounce the spirit of discouragement. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of mental illness. I renounce the spirit of mental illness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of doubt. I renounce the spirit of doubt. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of unbelief. I renounce the spirit of unbelief. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of weariness. I renounce the spirit of weariness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of laziness. I renounce the spirit of laziness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of gluttony. I renounce the spirit of gluttony. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of alcoholism. I renounce the spirit of alcoholism. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of lust. 
I renounce the spirit of lust. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of sexual promiscuity. I renounce the spirit of sexual promiscuity. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of helplessness. I renounce the spirit of helplessness. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of powerlessness. I renounce the spirit of powerlessness. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I renounce false religions. I renounce false religions. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of the occult. I renounce the spirit of the occult. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I am unlovable. I renounce the lie that I am unlovable. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I cannot grow in my faith. I renounce the lie that I cannot grow in my faith. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I don't matter to God. I renounce the lie that I don't matter to God. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I'm a bad influence on people. I renounce the lie that I'm a bad influence on people. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I am not good enough. I renounce the lie that I am not good enough. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for all that you have done throughout history. We thank you and we praise you for coming to rescue us, to set us free. In your name, Jesus, I take authority over all of these spirits, over all of these lies. Jesus, I take authority over them in your name and I command them to go to the foot of the cross where they belong so that these people your children might be set free from the, the enemy of our race, the spirit of sin, the spirit of death, from Satan himself, Jesus, that they may be set free. We renounce all of these things, Jesus, and I pray instead in your name that you may send us your Holy Spirit in a fresh and powerful way. Let your spirit of truth descend upon these your people. Let your spirit of peace and security descend upon your people, your spirit of faith, your spirit of hope, your spirit of love, Jesus. Send it down and make yourself known by the power of your Holy Spirit. Make known to them always and everywhere the power of your life, your death, and your resurrection. Give to them a deep conviction that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one, Jesus, comes to the Father except by you. Give them this conviction. Overwhelm them, Jesus, by the power of your gospel, and lead them to make a total surrender of their lives to you. Father, I pray that you may give them your blessing. Give them, Father, an awareness, a deep and abiding awareness that they matter so deeply to you. Father, let them know your love in a new way, a way that they have never known before. Let them know that they can rest peacefully in your house, Father. your house with your son Jesus seated at your right hand covered with the grace of the Holy Spirit 
Father, give them conviction. Give them power. Give them everything that they need to thrive in your kingdom, renouncing sin, resisting sin, and running after you. May Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.